Welcome to Passion Life Church. Well, welcome to part two of our series that we've entitled Fruitful. And uh, one of the reasons why we've entitled this Fruitful is because Jesus says that he wants our lives to bear much fruit. And I think that's important because you need to know that Jesus, when he was on the earth, was a very creative communicator, very illustrated. He would be walking with his disciples, and as he walked with his disciples in his time and where he lived, there was a lot of vineyards, a lot of vineyards. And Jesus took that opportunity to begin to share about who he was, who we are, and what he wants us to do. And so what he would do is as he was walking and they would see the vineyards, he began to just talk and he said, look, he said, I'm the vine. And so he was talking about who he is in our life. And the vine is what provides the nourishment. The vine is what provides the life. And then he says to us, you are the branches. Now I want you to say this with me. Say, I am not the vine. You're not the vine. You are the branches. The branches actually receive nourishment. The branches receive the water. The branches receive the life from the vine. And so he gives us these roles. He says, look, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And so when we are connected to the vine, we bear fruit. These grapes did not struggle to bear fruit. I've never been around a tree and heard, What's that? Oh, that's the lemon tree. It's trying to produce fruit. Have you ever heard that around an apple tree? No, 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 no. Sounds more like a horse. But in reality, fruit never struggles. Fruit is always the outward expression of an inward life. Fruit happens when you are connected to the vine. And here's what Jesus was telling us. Here's what I want you to do. I just want you to be connected with me. And when you are, you're going to start to see fruit. In other words, your life is going to start to become effective. You're going to start to be living with purpose. You're going to be on point with your life. There's going to be fruit. And let me say that again, because fruit is always the outward expression of the inward life. This grape right here, this grape that I have is the outward expression of an inward seed that's inside that it was planted. I may not see the seed, but here's what I see. I see the fruit. And so Jesus uses this illustration. Why? Because he wants our lives to bear fruit so people can see God. See, since fruit is the visible expression of the invisible, people see an invisible God by the visible fruit of his disciples. The Bible says that they will know us by our fruit. Our fruit. And so fruit is the expression of what's going on on the inside. Let's look at our theme scripture for this series. In John chapter 15, verse 8, it says this, By this my Father is glorified that you bear little fruit. Is that what it says? What does it say? Much fruit. Well, God just wants you to have a little bit, brother. Because that's spiritual. Little is spiritual. That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says that my father is glorified when I bear much fruit, mega fruit, 
And here he says, so you will be my disciples. Last week we talked about how there's a difference between being a believer and a disciple. You know, a believer can be someone who asks Jesus to come inside their heart. They forgive, say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. They're going to heaven. But basically after that, they just kind of sit around and, 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 and wait for Jesus to come back. They're just sitting around. One day, you know, I'm going to pass on to the afterlife. Well, that's a believer. But God wants disciples. And a disciple is someone who follows his teaching. A disciple is somebody, the Bible says, who's learning and constantly learning. Absolutely, the believer's going to heaven. But Jesus says disciples are the ones that bear Fruit. And what I want to do today is I want to give you four results of living what I call the vine life. I have entitled today the vine life. Last week we talked about fruit happens, right? You've seen the bumper sticker, squash happens. How many of you seen that? But last week we talked about how fruit happens. And what I want to do today is I want to show you some results of abiding in the vine. Who is the vine? Who is the vine? Jesus, Jesus right? Because you are not the vine. He is the vine. And when we abide in him, we bear much fruit. We're going to be in John chapter 15, if you have your Bibles. And let's look at verse 7. And he says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Here is the first result. Here is the first benefit of living the vine life. Your prayers are answered. Your prayers are answered. If you abide in me, right? If this branch abides, is connected to the vine, Jesus, gets what happens? He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. You know, this word abide actually means this in the Greek because that's the language of the New Testament. Abide means this, just to remain and to dwell. This branch, all it has to do to bear fruit is remain and dwell in the vine. You know that word abide has this connotation. Have you ever been, you're out, you've been working a long day, you finally get home, and as soon as you open that door, you're like Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz, right? There's no place like home. 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 And when you get home, there's almost like a rest that happens. What happens when you get in that door and you put your bag down? What happens? You start to feel at rest. Listen, you start to feel peace. You start to feel protection. Why? That is your dwelling place. Your home is your dwelling place. That's this word, that I am supposed to dwell in the vine. Now, a lot of people have made this word a work, abiding. You know, Pastor Bill, I just got to abide, abide in, in him, you know, got to abide. Hey, listen, abiding means dwelling. It means reading his word and allowing his word to take rest in me and me take rest in his word. Jesus is saying, when you make your home in me and you allow me to make my home in you, guess what? The vine life starts to happen. The strength of the vine starts to come to the branch and he is the vine and I'm the branch. So I start to get strength from him. Since Jesus is the vine, his life comes and flows through me, his strength. Now watch this. His his desires start to become my desires. Why? Because I'm connected to the vine. You know, this 
This actually comes from just making a decision. Lord, I want to be a disciple. I don't want to just be a believer. I want to be a follower of you. I want to rest in you. I want to rest in who you are. And look what God will do. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 says this. For God is working in you, giving you the what? The desire. He gives you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So when I am connected to the vine, not only does his life come through me, his strength, but watch, his desires start to come through me. Why? This is why you start to get your prayers answered. Because your desires are no longer selfish desires. Have you ever had this prayer? Lord, I hate that person of work, at work. Lord, can you just strike them down? Come on, just a little, little light bulb, little lightning bolt, God, please, please. I hate them. I hate, you know, they're, they're horrible. They act like the devil. Lord, could you just open up the heavens and just a little lightning bolt, Lord. Now, do you think that's the way Jesus would pray about that person? You think that's his desire? Absolutely not. But here's what happens. When you are connected to the vine, you don't pray that way. You start to pray like the Bible says. You start to pray for your enemy, not that a lightning bolt would strike them down. You would start to pray this way. Lord, before you strike them down, save them. Save them. Then strike them. No. You would say, Lord, I know I don't like them, but you know what? If they came to Jesus, they would be a better person. If they experienced your love, they'd be a better person. Maybe they're going through something, Lord, that we don't know. Maybe they're hurt. Lord, touch their life. That's a prayer that comes from the vine life. And guess what? You start to see prayers answered because your desires start to become his desires. See, when your heart's right, you begin to ask for things consistent with what God wants you to ask for. And then you'll use them in a way consistent with the way that God wants you to use them. But see, if you're just asking for things that are going to give you joy and they're not godly things, you're looking to other things. Listen, God's not going to answer a prayer and bless your competition. God's not going to bless a prayer that's competing for your heart. Come on, somebody. He, and he doesn't have any problems with you having things. He has a problem when you are more connected and abiding in things than you are abiding in the vine. And look what he says. He says in Psalms 34, 37 verse 4, and I love this. He says, look, delight yourself in me. He says, just delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is part of the vine life. What does that mean? My desires start to become his desires. His desires start to become my desires. And you begin to desire what God desires for your life. Watch. Even if it's not in the timing that you think it should be. See, the life of rest and abiding is abiding in God. I like to say it this way. Really abiding is just trusting in God. It's having an absolute trust that gives you a rest. And so, see, sometimes when we pray, we want things done. We, I mean, we live in an instant world. I mean, if the download doesn't happen in three seconds, come on, there's something wrong with our Internet. I mean, that's just the world that we live in. And so it's, but and you got to remember something. God doesn't live in time. He's never late, but he doesn't live in time. But let, let, me, let me help us today. Sometimes he doesn't answer prayers in your timing for your benefit. 
I've always, I, I, there was a point in my life where I didn't care if I got married. I was having fun, had friends, had friends that were girls, guy friends, and it was great. I didn't have to call anybody, let them know where I was at. Come on, I didn't have anybody stalking me. It was fun, it was great. But there was a time where I wanted to get married and I went to Christ for the Nations. It was a Christian college. They called it Brides for the Nations because people went over there and to get married and they said, ring by spring or your money back. I mean, that was just a, and it was a great, great way to, meet people. And I mean, there were some great girls there. And I thought one surely, surely was going to be my wife. And I remember, and I prayed and God said, it's not the time you're not ready. And I remember just going, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you that it's not the timing for me. And see what some people do is they just say, God, what do you know? I'm going to do what I want to do. They disconnect from the vine and then they get into a relationship. And when they look at the fruit of the relationship they don't like. They're like, God, where are you? God's like, I've been here the whole time. The only problem is, is you disconnected from the vine. You made your own connections. But when we abide in him, even if it's not our timing, we rest in him. You know, we were able to purchase a house uh, this last couple of weeks, and, and, uh, and we're, we thank God because we always knew that it would be a miracle house for us. We left our beautiful home in El Paso, Texas to come to Passion Life Church and start Passion Life Church five years ago. We didn't know anybody, and we, we knew some promises that the Bible says that whatever you give up for my name, God will repay you a hundred times in this lifetime. And so he says houses or homes, you know, for some of us in this room, he also puts family in there. We moved away from some of our family. He says God will replenish that in our lives in this lifetime. Not just heaven, but this lifetime. So we stood on those promises. But last year, we thought we were going to get a house. We've been praying for six years. Lord, there's a place you have for us. Show us what it is we want to... We thought last year we were going to get in the house. We, we started looking. And I'll be honest, it was a little disappointed because it didn't seem like there was doors opening. But here's what we know. We're going to rest in him because he has, he has the house that's perfect for us that he has already ordained even before we got here. And sometimes it's a timing issue, but you have to learn how to trust and abide in him. And so not only do we get a new house, but thank God, with just to praise $7,000 over the asking price of what we paid for it. And I'm telling you, God can do miracles in our lives, but you have to trust him in the timing. Listen, when God tells you no, it's not rejection, it's protection. And sometimes he's saying no to you because he knows down the line, you know what? I have something better for you. Just abide in me. And if you do, the fruit of the marriage that you want, it'll happen. The house, the fruit of the house that you want, it'll happen. But trust me to do it, not you. Is that a good word this morning? Well, Phil, it just doesn't seem like my prayers are getting answered. My life is definitely not seeing any fruit. Well, let me ask you three questions. Here's number one. Well, who are you crying out to in your life? Who are you crying out to? Because sometimes we can go to everyone else but God first. 
Everything else is first. And this is what happened to God's children in the Old Testament. They were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And God did all of these miracles, brought the plagues on the Egyptians. I mean, it just shows you how God will save the righteous. He loves his people. You know, Pharaoh had a say in it too. He could have said, sure. But you know what? He didn't. His heart got hard. He said, no, I'm not going to. And you know what? God delivered his people from 400 years of slavery. But look what they did in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 1. It says this, what sorrow awaits my rebellious children? God's talking to the children of Israel. He's like, man, you're rebellious children. He says, what sorrow awaits my rebellious children, says the Lord. You make plans that are contrary to mine. You make alliances not directed by my spirit. Thus, your sins are piling up, for without consulting me, you have gone down to Egypt for help. You have put your trust in Pharaoh's protection. You remember the slave owner? He was a slave driver. And now because you're not seeing what you thought you would see, you want to be back under the person who I delivered you from? You see this a lot in relationships. Some people would rather be in a bad relationship than no relationship at all. But I'm going to be honest with you. I would rather be alone than in the company of the wrong people. And you know what's interesting is he goes, you're not even consulting me. You're going back to Egypt for help? See, here's what Egypt represents in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Egypt represents the world's system. And God's like, you're not coming to me? You're going to the world's system? The world system, you're going to everybody else but me? Who are you crying out to? Here's the second question I, I want to ask. I want to ask, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? See, because we live in an internet age now where I think everything that's happening is always, let's Google it. Oh, Pastor Phil, I have a cough. Google it. Right? My kid is acting out. Google it. I pass some gas. Google it. What's wrong? And then you Google it and it says, stop drinking them monster drinks. I'm kidding. That's an inside joke. Anyway, Google it. Google it. I'm tired. Google it. Go to bed. Stop binge watching on Netflix. There you go. And it's funny how we'll go to Google before we go to God. Oh, my goodness. There's a spot on my foot. I got a spot on my foot. <gasps> I have cancer. And then you just realize it was a birthmark that you've had for years. You just never saw it. Now you're all freaking out because Google told you you have cancer. I read the symptom too, and I'm like, oh, I got that one. I got that one. But I feel great. But Google said, and Google knows everything. Jesus, I love you, but I'm going to go to Google. What are you looking at? Because I'll tell you what, if you're looking at, at, at Facebook, everyone on Facebook's an expert. Have you found that out? People are experts on social media. Friends that I know that didn't do well in high school, oh, they're, they're real intelligent on, on Facebook. You know, that's why you never cheated off the dumb kids test. You know, you're like, uh, thank you, I'll just guess, I'm good. Now they're on Facebook, oh, they're a genius. What are you looking at? See, as branches, we're supposed to look to the vine. We're supposed to look to the vine first. Isaiah chapter 31, verse 1 says this. What sorrow awaits 
those who look to Egypt, the world system, for help, trusting in their horses, their chariots, their charioteers, and depending on their own strength of human armies instead of looking to the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Can I just tell you this? This is not a life of rest. This is a life of self-will, self-righteous. I will do it my way. It's interesting. I love this quote from Corrie ten Boom. She actually helped many Jews escape from the Nazi Holocaust during World War II. And she said this, if you look to the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within yourself, you'll be depressed. But when you look to Jesus, you'll be at rest. And some of us, our prayers aren't getting answered because God is not our first choice. We call our friends, we call everyone else. Here's my third question. Who are you trusting in? If we're honest, some of us trust more in our bank accounts than we do God. For some of us, Chase is God. Wells Fargo is God, right? Whatever bank, you fill in the bank. But I, I don't know about you, but banks make mistakes. They make mistakes. God never makes mistakes. And some of us are abiding and resting and trusting in our bank account more than we are God. That's why we're so stressed out and have so much anxiety. And we, listen, we can't abide in the vine and the fruit of what we get out of it we don't like. But if you will connect yourself and abide more in him than you do your personal bank account, you will find that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that he provides, he is Jehovah Jireh. But some of us, you know, we trust in our own ability to figure stuff out more than we do God. Some of us even, I don't understand this, but trust the news more than we do God's word. And I think it's funny sometimes how us Christians talk because we say this, well, brother, all we can do is pray now. Sh shouldn't prayer be our First priority, not our last resort. This is why we don't see the fruit that God wants us to see. See, you can't get the right answers in the wrong places. Right? Looking for the love in all the wrong places. Got three divorces. Okay, never mind. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, she says, This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. That's not just for salvation. That's for every area of your life. Financial, relational, spiritual, is that when we rest in him, guess what? There's salvation. And it says in the quietness and confidence is your strength, but you would have None of it. This is why Jesus said this. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he said, So come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you what? I'll give you rest. You know what America needs today is rest. We need rest, trusting in God. Rest. Take my yoke, Jesus says, upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. I think it's interesting. I don't know if you caught that, but Jesus was like, come to me. Here, I'm gonna give you a yoke. 
well, well, Jesus, I'm already overburdened. I'm already carrying something. And here's what Jesus is saying. You're carrying the wrong things. Because when you carry my yoke, it's easy. I think it's interesting, you know, in years of pastoring, the first thing that people X off their list is, well, I can't help at church anymore because I'm just too busy and overburdened. Yeah, you're carrying the wrong things because the Bible says when you come in and you refresh others, you will be refreshed. See, you have the wrong yoke on you and you have all of these things. We're doing things that God never called us to do. We're hanging out with people who never called us, God called us to befriend. And guess what? The yoke is heavy. And Jesus is like, you know what? Let's take off that yoke. Let me give you my yoke here. It's easy. It's tailor fit for you. And you know what? You're gonna have a life of rest. But listen, when you're not abiding in the vine, you begin to carry things you were never meant to carry. See, I know people that, guess what they're carrying? They picked up offenses that they're carrying. It's a yoke on there. You were never meant to carry those offenses. There are people, guess what? You're carrying things from a long time ago that you just are continuing to carry. You just picked up things. you carrying burdens. You know what? And it's not working and you're tired, and you're stressed out, and guess what? Here's the worst part, I think. There's no fruit. There's no fruit. There's no fruit. I'm gonna say this, and I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to interpret it. Some of you think that a paycheck is fruit, but there's other of us, no, we've gotten a paycheck, and we still feel like we are not fulfilled and are not making a difference. Because we've settled for not abiding in him. And I would just encourage you to look at your life and say, what areas of my life are not fruitful? It could just be the areas that God never told you to be involved in. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching. I'm going to have to amen myself. Come on, tell like it is. Don't hold back. Don't water it down, Pastor Phil. Thank you. The first result. Yeah, you can give the Lord a good round of applause. Somebody's excited. I'll eat a grape. Mm, Love fruit. So the first result of abiding in him is you start to see your prayers answered. Guess what? Your life starts to become effective. Your life starts to become on point. You start to ask God for things and they start to happen because you're living the vine life. Here's the second result. John 15, verse eight. Are you glad you came to church today? By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Here's the second thing. People start to see the heavenly father in your life. They start to see him, why? He's glorified. When we're abiding in the vine, guess what? The fruit of our life starts to reflect God, the Father. You know, our fruit is actually visible through our words, our actions, our attitudes. And the Bible says the world can look at our fruit and God can be glorified. Can I just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, what an awesome honor that God gives to us to be able to bear fruit that could give him glory that could give him and honor him that when people look at our life, can I ask you, when people look at your life, do they see Jesus or do they see the devil? Are they surprised when you say you go to church? You go to church? Because you know what? The fruit of your life is speaking and people see it. And Jesus is using this because he says, when you look at the fruit, he says, I want people to look at the fruit and see father, see my father in heaven. You know, the word glory means 
magnify. The word glory actually means in the Greek, he's honored. When people look at your life, is God honored? When people look at your life, is God magnified? Or when people look at your life, is God diminished? When people see the fruit of your life, it's a great opportunity that we can magnify the Father. And he says, I want people to see what the Father, my heavenly Father is like by looking at your life. Woo-hoo. You mean I'm responsible for my life? Yeah. Because other people are looking at you. And for some, it may be the only God and Jesus they may ever see by the fruit of your life. See, when you're a disciple of Jesus, you are conscious about the fruit that you're bearing. Remember, he says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples, right? So disciples are, I'm I'm concerned about my fruit. I want it to be good fruit. But let me just tell you this. Disciples are not just concerned about their fruit. Disciples are actually also concerned about making disciples. See, Sometimes I think we don't know what the win of the Christian life is. You know, in every sport, there's always a win. There's a touchdown. There's the home run. There's the goal, right? Goal in soccer. They don't just say, he just shot a goal. It's goal. It's the win. But I think for us as Christians, we think the win is heaven. I'm going to heaven. That's the win. Okay, so you're going to waste 30 years of your life because the win is going to heaven? That's part of it, but can I tell you what Jesus said the win is here on earth? He says, Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given to you, but be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. You know that disciples not only want to be disciples, but they want to help disciple other people. That's what Jesus's disciples did is they created, they had disciples. And here's what Jesus is doing. He said, I want you to live your life like I did. How did Jesus call his disciples? He just said this, come follow me. Come follow me. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time you just asked some people, your neighbors. Because remember, we're supposed to love God while our heart, soul, and mind and love our neighbors as ourselves. How can we love our neighbors if we don't even know their names? I know we live in a society like this. Somebody knocks on the door. I know we live in that society. But I'm going to tell you what, apart from Passion Life Church, our goal in our new house is to love our neighbors. And I've already gone up to the, their door and knocked on it. And it's the most awkward thing. Because some of them have video things and they're like, this one guy has this new thing. He's not even at home. He's like, hello, sir, can I help you? Just trying to love you over here. Can't love you through this intercom. Can you come out, come out wherever you are? But here's the reality. They're going to know who God is by us loving our neighbor. And Jesus called disciples by just saying, come follow me. It was an invitation to relationship with him. And you know what it was? What did Jesus do? Jesus didn't sit the disciples down and say, hey, look, we're gonna do church 101, church 102. Here's what he said. 
Come hang with me. Come on this journey with me. Walk with me. Some things are caught, not just taught. And Jesus said, come with me. And I just ask, I want to ask you, who's on a journey with you? Who have you said, hey, you know what? This last two weeks, hey, why don't you come out to eat lunch with us? Why don't you come hang with us? Hey, neighbors, listen, we're just going to have a little barbecue. And it's not about even me telling you anything. It's about you coming over and me asking about you and who you are. I'm concerned. I want to know who you are. Come along this journey. I just think it's so interesting that we have a God who loves people yet his children are so introverted sometimes and we're looking around and we want the world to change but we won't talk to anybody. We're so real, ritualistic. We talk to the same people at church. We sit our butt in the same seat every Sunday. Some of these seats have butt marks in them. And you know it because you go, I, I sit four rows, three seats, every single week. And we're like, hey, just tell your neighbor that you're glad they're here. I can't do that. How are we going to tell people about Jesus? We can't even say hi to our neighbor. Well, you know, it's because I, I don't know what they're going to think about you. Let me give you some Holy Ghost revelation. This isn't about you. This is about their eternity. And they are dying from a cancer called sin. And you have the remedy in your pocket. And if you are dying of sin, and I said, well, I just don't want to tell you I have the remedy because I don't know what you think about me. How selfish am I? And Jesus said, you know what? When you begin to disciple people and you say, come with me. I think it's funny, even at our church, people go out, with us, out to eat at their lunch with the same people every week. Try taking somebody else out. You know, I love Nina. Nina's here today. The other day we were leaving the service and I said, hey, Nina, I was going to talk with her. She's like, hey, I have to go. I said, oh, okay. And she says, um, you know, there's, there's a new lady here at the church and uh, she says, I'm going to take her out to lunch. And I was like, wow. She says, yeah, she's new. We need to invest in her and I'm going to take her out. Guess what that is? That's, that's a disciple reaching out to other disciples. That's, hey, come have, hey, Pastor Phil, I can't buy anybody, listen, any food. Can you buy him a coffee? Can you just say, hey, come with me. Come on this journey with me. I'm not perfect. Pastor Phil, you know, I just, I'm not perfect. It doesn't matter if you're perfect. Let them see your mistakes because when they see you make a mistake and you ask God to forgiveness, for forgiveness, that builds life in them. That shows you that you're, that, that shows them that you're real. You're a real person. Come on, somebody. And you're just trying to follow Jesus. And you say like Paul, that, hey, just come follow me like I'm following him. I'm not perfect. But you know what? People will follow. People will come with you. Who are you discipling? Who are you allowing to see your life so they can see the fruit and God can be glorified. That's the win of the Christian life. Making disciples. People who are living the vine life can't help but make disciples. I love it. And it's not real spiritual. It's just, hey, come hang with us. Come over our house. Let's have some lunch. Hey, let me just meet you. Let me show you I love Jesus and I am not weird. I eat too. I have kids too. My kid's not perfect. Come, but I'll show you the one who is. And sometimes we'll just love people. And this is actually the third result. Number three, look, John 15, nine says, I loved you even as the father has loved me. Remain, there's that word, abide, remain in my love. Now, what love are we gonna remain in? We're gonna remain in the love that he gave us. Listen, you didn't love God first. God loved you first. Let me say that again. It didn't start with you. 
that started with God. He loved you first. And here's what he's saying. Receive my love. Abide in my love, verse 10. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And here's the third result of living the vine life. There's a presence of his love. And when you make a decision to abide, his love starts to flow through you. Listen, you can't dwell in God's love if you don't allow God to love you first. That's the biggest problem for some of us. You don't think God loves you because of your mistakes and your failures. But can, let me just say again, his love is not about you. He is love. You are just the object of it. What you do or don't do does not change who God is. The Bible says God is love. And what we have to do is say, God, love me. I receive your love. And when you are living the vine life, one of the fruits of his spirit is love. We're going to talk about all of the fruits of the spirit. That's where we're heading. It's a part. You know what? The fruit of the spirit love is inside of you. But here's what I want us to know, because I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. We're going to move to the next one, because we are going to talk more in depth about love and the fruit of the spirit. But here's what happens. It's kind of crazy. Not only when you are connected to the vine, does his strength, his life, right, and his desires start to change your desires. Here's what happens. His love starts to change your life. And you start to love other people because you're connected to the vine. But watch this. His love that comes into you doesn't just help you love others. It actually helps you love God. This is why he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. See, some of us cannot, we can't fathom keeping God's commandments. And here's why you have a hard time keeping God's commandments. You don't know that he loves you. When you know God loves you, you will keep his commandments. Well, Pastor Phil, I just, you know, I, I just think that God, if I keep his commandments, he's going to wreck my life. Can I just tell you, you don't need God to wreck your life. Some of us do a great job by ourselves. Amen. Hallelujah. Preach it, brother. <laughs> I'm speaking about me. I wrecked my own life. I didn't need God. Well, God's trying to wreck. He's trying to help you. He's trying to save you not only from hell, but he's trying to save you from you. Come on. I feel a spirit of truth in here. He's trying to save you from you. And so we, I keep God's commandment now because I, now I keep it because I just love him. And here's what I'm learning. When I take these principles. Listen, I'm not the sharpest pen in the box. I'm telling you this. But mama didn't raise no fool. But here's one of the things I've applied with my son. If my son knows that I love him, he will hear my voice and he will, he will obey my voice. It's when, when there is rules without relationship, there's rebellion. But you know what I'm finding? The more I just love my son and love my son, when I tell him no, he understands that I love him. And this is what God is trying to do with us. He wants us to abide in his love. So when he tells you, no, not this time, you go, God, I know it's no because you love me. Or he says, do this. You say, God, you know what? I'm going to do that because you love me because you have what's best in store for my life. But we don't do that because we're afraid. But you know, then we don't really know what love is because 1 John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Fear. 
because fear has to do with punishment. So the one who fears, watch this, is not made perfect in love. If you still have fear, you really don't know God's love because you have nothing to be afraid of because God loves you and he cares for you and you are his child. If you think you're a good parent doing what you're doing for, for your kid, can I just tell you, God is way up here and you're his child and he cares and he loves for you. He wants to protect you. He wants your life to bear much fruit. Come on, somebody. Well, Pastor Phil, that's great. I would love to start making disciples. I, I don't know what to do. I'll tell you what to do. Start loving people. Start loving people. Listen, love people. Do you know that love is the key ingredient to everything? Everything, God, it's the motivation of everything. You know, Mother Teresa said this. She said this. She says, you want to change the world? Go home and love your family. In Spanish, we say, andale. She said this, the fruit of love is service. In other words, the fruit of love is action, right? I, I just think it's funny. People say they love God, but they, they never give. Can, you know what? You can give and not love, but you can't love and not give. Sir, there's always action with love. And well, Pastor Phil, you know, I, I would love to make disciples. I understand what you're saying, but here's the thing. I don't know how to get into these deep theological debates. Can I tell you, I've been a part of a lot of big theological debates, but you know what I've usually found? There's no love in those anyway. People end up fighting anyway. And you can have, listen, you can tweet this, Facebook it, but you can have the deepest theological intelligence, but without love, that's no theology at all. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 says this, if I speak in the tongues of angels, but there's no, have no love, I am only a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. In other words, you're just annoying. Come on, somebody. Number two, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and knowledge and I have the faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I don't have love, Paul says, you're nothing. You're nothing. And so when you are abiding in him, here's the result. There's a presence of love. Here's how we start discipleship. By loving people. Hey, I see you struggling over there, my neighbor. Hey, how can I help you? You know how many of my neighbors, I help them take their groceries up on the second floor? You know how many of my neighbors right now where we live in our apartment, I talk with, I encourage them. And some of them, they don't even know that I'm a pastor. You know why? Because God's love flows through me. You don't have to be a priest. Listen, you don't have to have all of these gifts. All you have to have is love some people. And when they see the love, they're going to glorify God. Come on, somebody. Here's the last one for today. Yeah. Let me just add this. I'm, gonna give, I'm giving away all my secrets today. I'm gonna, I, I, I want to be simple with people because I think we over-spiritualize way too much. Sometimes when I'm trying to figure out in something, some situation, and I want to know what to do, here's what I ask. What would love do? Because if God is love, when I do something in love, I'm doing what he would do. 
And when you look at Jesus's life, he sat with sinners, not because he loved their sin. As a matter of fact, because he loved people and his love. Do you know that sinners love Jesus? They loved him. You know why they love Jesus? Because Jesus loved sinners. Because whatever you sow, you reap. Do you know who were the people who had a problem with Jesus? Were the self-righteous people who wouldn't allow Jesus to love them because they think they didn't need it. But Zacchaeus, man, his one encounter with Jesus was sitting in Zacchaeus's house. And the Bible says it so turned his life around. He repaid everybody. I don't know, what was seven times, 10 times what he owed them and what he stole from them because an encounter with love. And I'm just telling you, you, you want to be effective for God? Just love people and ask God, what would love do here? Here's the fourth result. It's not only number one, that our prayers are answered or number two, that our heavenly, that people would see our heavenly father. And number three, that there was a, there's a presence of love. This is all in John chapter 15, but here's the last one. And we're going to go into these a little more deeper. When you are living the vine life, number four, there's a presence of his joy. Look at John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, everybody say his joy. His joy. He says this. He's telling us that these things that I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you. He's not giving you some cheap joy, a bottle of cheap joy that he found on Craigslist for you. Here's what he's doing. He's giving you his joy. God has joy. When we go through the fruits of the spirit, you're actually going to see when you start to love, joy, peace, you're going to start to see the characteristics of God in the fruit of the spirit is how God operates. And when you understand you have the fruit of the spirit operating in you and how they operate, you're going to understand this is how God operates. I know this is mind blowing for me to say this. It's revolutionary, but I'm going to say it anyway. God is a God of joy. Notice how I got three amens. Because everybody else thinks that God is up there with a big baseball bat and he can't wait till you mess up. Because as soon as he messes you up, boom, he's knocking you out. Mama's going to knock you out. Mama said, knock you out. But then why is joy a fruit of his spirit? Why does the Bible say that in his presence is fullness of joy? And I'm telling you today, we serve a God of joy. The Bible says he's slow to anger. It does. The Bible says he's rich in mercy, slow to anger. Find one scripture, show it to me after service, that see, he, it says he is rich in anger. There's not one. It says he's slow to anger. But let me just say this and then I want to pray. We have joy and happiness mixed up. Joy and happiness are two different things. Happiness is always based on what's happening. Right? Always the LA Chargers are winning. I'm happy. And you know that's not very much. <laughs> my people, my team is down. Oh my gosh. The sky is falling. It's always based on what's happening. Oh, I didn't get paid enough. Oh, this, right? Because happiness is circumstantial. But here's what joy is. Joy is grounded in God's character. Here's what joy does. Joy looks past circumstances to see God's unchanging character. 
And so when I look at God's character, then what happens is I am steady and it gives me joy because my joy is not based on the economy. My joy is not based on who's president. My joy is not based on where I live. My joy is not based on the family that I came from. My joy is based on the character of an unchanging, immovable God. Circumstances can come and go, but he never changed. And to be honest with you, joy is actually divine. Joy is a divine origin. It's spirit given. You can't get joy from anywhere else. People are trying to get it. They can't drink themselves happy. They can't do enough drugs to make themselves happy because joy is supernatural and it only comes from the presence of God. I put this, joy can only be produced by the grace of God. Do you know that the word grace is charis in the Greek, but did you know the word joy is kara? The charis is great. Grace, kara is joy. The only way you can have joy is by understanding the grace of God in your life. Joy is stationary in the character of God, no matter what happens. This is how Jesus endured the cross. I want to close today. See, some of us may be going through some tough things. I'm going to tell you as a pastor, I've gone through tough things. Some of you wouldn't know where I've been this week and you wouldn't know where I've been, what I've done this week and all the things and the ups and downs and emotions that I've had this week, right? Cheryl and, and their family would probably know because I was with them this week through some stuff. But let me just tell you, you wouldn't know that. Why? Because my life is not based on feelings. My life is based on the joy of the Lord. He keeps me consistent because it's not based on natural things. It's based on a foundation that's supernatural. And Jesus, you want to talk about the hardest thing someone ever went through? Jesus on the cross in Hebrews 12, 2 says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Don't look to your circumstances. Don't look to the, look to Jesus. Look, he started your faith and he's going to finish who for the joy set before him, he'd endured the cross. Notice he wasn't looking at the cross. He was looking at the joy that was set before him. You know what he did? He was thinking about humanity and people giving their lives to him for forgiveness, understanding who the father was. People would be in heaven because of him. That gave him joy to endure the most horrific death. It was joy that will keep you and help you endure in the most horrific circumstances. And I'm telling you that is available for us when we live our life in the vine. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you were encouraged and uplifted by today's message. For more information about Passion Life Church, visit us online at passionlifechurch.com.